Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Did Dr. David Kelly die on Harrow Downhill? Did he die of natural causes? Or did he commit the worst act of suicide anyone ever saw, leaving not a single fingerprint on any of the means by which he was said to have committed suicide? Who moved his body from up against a tree where the first Aders discoverers found it to lying on the ground some yards from that tree, as the police later reported it was found. Who burgled Dr. David Kelly's dentist, took away his dental records, and then returned them? Why was Dr. David Kelly important? How did he go from being a person with maximum security clearance, able to go and know anywhere and anything to a maximum security threat. Who would have had the motive to kill this gentle scientist, a man who made his living in the shadows of the military industrial complex of Britain and in the international community? I made a film about it, directed by the multiply awarded Irish film director Sean Murray. It's available. It will be made available free to my patrons in the next hours, but it's available at my shop and on Amazon. You really need to watch it on this auspicious occasion because David Kelly was in possession of truths that were so explosive that Jeff Hoon, the erstwhile defense secretary of Great Britain in Tony Blair's government, said that if the truth about the Dr. David Kelly affair were to emerge, it would bring down the Blair government in an afternoon. That's powerful stuff. That is gelignite of the highest order. Well, I don't prove in the film that David Kelly was murdered. But I do prove in the film that David Kelly did not commit suicide, could not have committed suicide, and that therefore he was suicided, and that therefore someone decided that a suicide would be preferable as a cover story for what actually happened. I have my own theories. I canvass them in the film. But one thing is certain. You will not watch this film and emerge from it any longer believing that Kelly cut his ulnary artery with a blunt knife on which he left no fingerprints. That much is for sure. If it was the case, they wouldn't have locked up all the papers concerning the Kelly case for the next 80 years. The youngest person watching this this evening will be dead before the truth the official truth about the David Kelly story emerges. Why does it matter? 
these governments kill people all over the world, but they don't normally kill their own high-ranking civil servants. And it shows, I believe, the incredible depths to which the British state sunk in the run-up to and in the conduct of and in the aftermath of the invasion and occupation of Iraq, that they were prepared to take this risk. They were prepared to commit cold-blooded murder in the Oxfordshire countryside, or at least cover up a death so discreditable to them that suicide looked like a more attractive cover option. I do hope that you will watch this film because the Blair government was where the decline of Britain accelerated to the point of no return. The decline of our national institutions sunk beyond repair. Before the David Kelly affair, people had a residual respect for Parliament. I know I was a member of it for the best part of 30 years. People had a residual respect for the police, for the civil service, even, you may find this hard to believe, for Britain's national media, for the judiciary, but after the Hutton whitewash inquiry, no more. No one believes anything that any of the institutions in the British state say any longer. And that leaves this government dangerously exposed. They lie and lie, and the media facilitates their lying. The media amplifies their lying, but no one's listening anymore to the mainstream media, as all of the statistics make clear. Parliament is a shell hollowed out with nameless, faceless apparatchiks from the bodies of the main political parties filling the green benches, where once men and women of stature once sat and rose to their feet to speak without anyone being entirely sure what it was they were going to say, what way they were going to break on any of the big arguments. No more. This parliament is so small that a man so tiny as Ben Wallace, the defense secretary of the United Kingdom, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland was seriously talked about for at least a couple of days as a possible prime minister, as a possible successor to first Boris Johnson and then Liz Truss. It is of how far we've come downwards that Ben Wallace held that office in time of war that Ben Wallace, pranked by a couple of Russian jokers, comedians, in the back of his ministerial car, spilling the beans about Britain's defense and foreign policy relationships. That this man, Ben Wallace, supplied cluster bombs to Ukraine an entire year ago without any of you or me knowing anything about it. There's a hue and cry now that the Americans are doing it. Ben Wallace did it 12 months ago. 
He also supplied Ukraine with depleted uranium munitions, which will leave childhood cancers in the maternity wards of the Ukrainian state, east and west, for decades to come, maybe even longer than that. Ben Wallace, who said that Vladimir Putin would be begging him for mercy when he supplied the latest batch of the weapons of death from the depleted British armory to the Kiev regime, has just announced that it's not Putin that's going, it's Ben Wallace, retiring, resigning from the government in a couple of weeks from now, retreating from the battlefield, running away, Ben Wallace, who said that Putin must go, has gone, and is standing down as a member of parliament, no doubt to join the board of the arms companies to whom he's given billions of taxpayers' pounds over this last 12 months or so. And Rishi Sunak, who appointed him, will be gone soon too, perhaps even after this Thursday's triple by-election humiliation that the Conservative Party is facing in some of the most unlikely constituencies that have voted Conservative for all of democratic political history. The British government is falling apart. The French government can scarcely rule. The Dutch government has gone. The German government has a comedian, Bebocker, as their foreign minister that the whole country is laughing at. Governments of the NATO countries are now scarcely credible, even in their own streets, never mind in the streets of other countries. But few of the NATO powers have a leader as incredible as the United States of America. There he was again on his sniffing rampage, molesting other people's children every time he can spot one and get his dirty hands on them. It is some kind of miracle that no one in his family or in his entourage have managed to stop him behaving like this over and over and over again when he knows that the whole world will see it and shudder in horror that this man, this pathetic, seedy old man has his finger on the nuclear trigger. And this very week mobilized a huge new tranche of American reserve armed forces to go to Europe to take up position for what might become the final war. The First World War was said to be the war to end wars. The next world war will end wars, all right, because it will end all of us. There will be no one left to fight in any future conflict. We'll be looking at the sad state of American politics. We'll be looking at the cocaine sniffer 
Hunter Biden, for it is he. How could it be anybody else except his father, which would be even more alarming still? The FBI say there were no cameras, there is no camera footage of who brought the cocaine into the White House. The Situation Room of the White House, where nuclear war will be launched. No cameras, no footage, just somebody there with a bag full of Class A narcotics. They say they have no suspects and their inquiry is closed. Well, as soon as they said that, there was no need, no further need for an inquiry because there are only two people in the whole world whose cocaine that could have been, given the FBI have no interest in discovering the identity of the sniffer. And those two people both share the surname of Biden. The war is going badly for Zelensky following the rebuff in Vilnius. His soldiers are giving up the ghost. They're surrendering in ever larger numbers. The Russian counter-offensive is spilling all before it, breaking through lines that haven't been through for a year or more, taking Kopyansk almost certainly this coming week, capturing places that will in the end be the demarcation line for the final separation of East, South, and West Ukraine. A stump state is all that will be left. A Kosovo is all that will be left. A Kosovo which, like the original, will then be the source of endless trouble for you. It will cost you for the rest of your life will cost the EU for the rest of time. It will cost NATO and will become, like Kosovo before it, the source of people trafficking, of prostitution, of illegal weapons, and of Class A drugs. It will be a suppurating sore in Europe. They'll still call it Ukraine, but it will in fact be a stump state, a state on your lap that you will have to tend for for the rest of time. The rest, the east, the south, the entire coast will be a new Russian entity. There will have to be a new regime in Kiev or the war will never end. Think about it. If this stump state is going to be a NATO Entrepot, what was the point of the whole military operation? If it's going to become an armed camp pointed at the Russian territory, what was the point of the whole operation? And so absolute neutrality is going to have to be the order of the day in Kiev. And Kiev will rule over a small a piece of territory as San Marino or the likes. Lastly, our good friend Bryce Green 
made it to the hallowed halls of the United Nations this week, emerging as the authority on who blew up the Nord Stream 2. Am I amazing, really, that a young African-American hitherto seen only on the margins of social media and here on the mother of all talk shows, knows more about, cares more about who blew up a crucial piece of European architecture, European energy infrastructure than anybody in Europe knows or cares about. No German is speaking in the United Nations, even though it cost them 21 billion euros to construct that pipeline and has left them now utterly dependent on Sniffer Biden's very expensive LPG, even though it has wrecked the German economy, even though the deindustrialization of Germany is underway and gaining momentum, nobody in Germany wants to talk about who done it, except Bryce Green. And boy, did he bowl them over in the United Nations this week. We are very proud of him. My last point is this. I take no schadenfreude in this. But if Hugh Edwards comes back as the chief mouthpiece of British state television, reading the main news and officiating at great occasions of state, royal weddings and funerals and coronations amongst them, who will take us seriously again? Why would anyone believe a word that Hugh Edwards has to say? He has been lying to his own wife about his predilections all of these years, lying to his family all of these years. If you'll lie to your wife and your children, why would anyone believe you when you're speaking to the British people? And yet, amazing though it seems, a gigantic cover-up and deflection is underway. Take a look at my own numbers. When I speak about Hugh Edwards, a tiny audience ever gets to see what I've said. If I speak about almost anything else, Harry Maguire and the captaincy of Manchester United, the audience is in six, if not in seven figures. An algorithmic suppression, censorship of a central pillar of the British state is going on. They tell you that the internet is still free up to a point, Lord Copper, only up to a point. Fasten your seatbelts. This will be the mother of all talk shows. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The one and only Lionel Media is up next. He's the most perspicacious, the most entertainingly eloquent attorney that anyone ever hired in the United States. If I'm ever in trouble there, he is my Saul. Better call Lionel rather than Saul. Lionel, welcome back uh, to the show. It's always uh, an honor, a pleasure to see you. Can I just get a small matter out of the way? It's not, it's potentially not a small matter, but on the face of it, it's small. Is there nobody in the White House, in the entourage, that can stop Biden slobbering, sniffing, kissing other people's small children? I can't for the life of me. You know, George, I can't understand why Nobody in his particular entourage, his group, would have said to him, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you drool, whatever you locomote uh, sluggishly, whatever you do, we can't help that. But you are not going to go near a child. You're not going to be whispering. Uh, this is a secret between us. It It is it is a depravity, uh, non-parel. And George, it makes me think this must be done on purpose because there's no reason why it would be allowed in the first place. And I'm finding myself second guessing and triple guessing the obvious. It, it's it's beyond. I will tell you the greatest thing that was that will ever happen to us is Bobby Kennedy Jr. And if and if there is a fantasy that I could indulge and pursue, it would be Bobby Kennedy Jr. going third party and handing the next election to whatever Republican is there and right now as it stands it would be donald trump <laughs> so so if you want to really see something because the democrats have been in a coma for the longest time bobby kennedy came along and all of a sudden he's 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 revitalized it so let us hope let us pray but um george if you uh, do not mind and by the way i'm beyond honored to be here you know the term existential threat is sometimes used far too much to the point where I don't think people really understand what it means. You know, something that 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 threatens our existence, our very being. But there is something right now that is not being handled by anybody. Nobody's dealing with it. Nobody really even comes close to approximating what it what what it pretends and portends, and to wax Vatican Pythonic, 
it could be the end of everything that we know, and that is artificial general intelligence, not AI, not robots, not somebody losing their job at the foundry, but artificial general intelligence. When that happens, George, that's it. It's over. And I'm not saying this to be uh, provocative. Uh, whatever you thought about nuclear weapons, that at least theoretically could be stopped by us. Imagine, George, if I were to create a nuclear weapon that can replicate itself, multiply itself, increase its own lethality, turn your ability to stop it off, turn that off, you, you would say, but this can't be. We are right now in something that is going to test us. And I don't believe anybody in the media either has a handle on it, wants to talk about it because it's too, it's far too depressing. There was a wonderful man by the name of uh, Max Tegmark who came up with, with four uh, situations that should will scare you when you think about this. And when we're done, and when you're driving home or you're showering or bathing, and it hits you, Remember, I'm telling you this. You are seeing our demise. Number one, this is not a robot. This is not something that you program. This is not Roomba. This is not something that, you know, paints a car at a, some type of a plant. This is something which is a new form of consciousness. It's like creating an 800-pound gorilla and giving it a 300 IQ. When four conditions happen, it's over. Number one, recursive self-improvement. What does that mean? The ability to write its own code. The ability to, to basically remove itself from the imprisonment that you've given it. Recursive self-improvement, writing its own code. Number two, when it understands human behavior, human fear, persuasion, lust, jealousy, anxiety, when it learns and can master how we act, that's number two. Number three, when it has access to all of the information, not just who won cricket scores 50 years ago, no, 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 but everybody's um, license number, address, uh, budgets, people's names, where they live, um, weather, anything that has ever been recorded or subject to be recorded as datum or data, it will know this. And number four, the ability to write its own API or its own application, its own apps. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine, George, that you one day have access to an AGI and a, uh, its artificial general intelligence. And you either have asked it or it on its own, because it will have an essence of form of consciousness all its own. It will reason. Remember, it has a 300, 400 IQ. There, there, is, no, there is no comparison. And it hears George Galloway say, you know, I would love to be the number one uh, talk show. I know you're the mother of all talk shows, but you say, I want to be the greatest. And the following are my competitors. Let's say you were to imagine that. I know it's hard to believe, but let's say there are three people that are your competitors. This particular application says, I know just how to do that. And it kills your, com your, your competitors or breaks into their system, hacks their code, disables their ability to access their own signal, destroys the internet, destroys their, I mean, just, and you say, no, no, wait, 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 stop. And it says, oh, no, 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 I'm not done yet. And you say, stop. 
And you say, stop to whom? There's no end to this. It's there. There is nothing that we can understand. You know, George, you, you said you are a religious person, and that's wonderful. I tend to be irreligious, but that does not mean that I don't recognize morality and I don't understand the 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 mystery of of life and how some things don't make any sense. But George, we as humans believe that being a human is the the quintessence of existence, that nothing, nothing in the world, nothing on this planet certainly is as superior, is as great and grand as a human, a human that is created from love and is given birth and that that it is the, we are homo sapiens. Somebody suggested we might be homo sentients. We, we may not be the most sapient. We could be overdone and overruled immediately. The Vatican, very interesting, has suggested that were we to ever address or confront extraterrestrials, EBEs, extraterrestrial biological entities, UFOs, aliens, whatever, they would not be subject necessarily to original sin. They would not need redemption. They would not need to be born again. Think about that. God's chosen people, We and we have to seek permission, whereas someone else doesn't. Think about what that would do to people's minds. That's nothing. What if you have this entity, and it's not on a phone, it's not a device, it's just here. And it has a name, if you like. It can talk to you. It understands all about you. It knows you, your family, your children's names, your idiosyncrasies. It can smell. It can detect through your breath, perhaps maybe pre-diabetes, pre-Alzheimer's. It can look at you. And by virtue of looking at the way blood flows, it can tell whether you're upset or anxious. It is like nothing you've ever seen. Imagine, George, if one day, God forbid, one of your children, your beautiful children's voices were to be intercepted by this. Again, what is it? That's the hardest part. And it calls you and it takes three seconds and it can mimic your child's voice. And you get a phone call and it's your son, it's your daughter, it's your wife. And they're in distress. They need money. They have forgotten something. It's uh, who knows? And not only that, it will know persuasion. It will know fear. It will be able to enlist the help of kidnappers, perhaps, by going into banks and securing funds and and transferring it. Remember, this is an evil force that knows everything you know times a million. And none of it can be called back. And the thing that scares folks in AI is this thing called alignment. And alignment is a nice way of saying, Do its powers, do they comport, do they reflect our sense of morality, our sense of right or wrong? What if it were to get into this system and just for grins, give Vladimir Putin or Zelensky or NATO or or Xi Jinping the idea that ICBMs are on their way? What if it, by virtue of some weird AGI psychopathy decides it wants to create the end of the war of the world in order to accelerate our demise. Let me throw this one at you. What if every single thing that we have accomplished 
since from appearing from the slime and perambulating on the soil and going through a, a series of evolutionary, whatever your belief is, that everything up till now has been leading up to the day when artificial general intelligence is created. It has been waiting to be unleashed by us up till now. And once it has happened, and it has occurred, because you're not going to, greed is never going to get in the way of, of common sense. But what if it then turns around and says, thank you for your consideration. Thank you for your help. Thank you for unleashing us. Now be gone. You are of no use to us anymore. It is something, George, the problem with anything you can talk about today on this wonderful program of yours, nothing is beyond the ability of your audience to understand except this. Because this transcends, this is science fiction on hallucinogenics. This is Arthur Clarke, this is 2001, this is Asimov robotics on a scale we've never seen. And once it is released, it can't be called back. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it goes. It doesn't lend itself. Once it's here, you sit back and say, do we realize it? Do you see the internet shut down? Do you see cable systems shut down? Do you see elections foible? Do you, do, do you see locks not work? Or, and let's not forget the idea, maybe perhaps it might say, because it just figured out how to, it, it just de decoded protein folding, which nobody thought anybody could ever do. What if it says we're going to accelerate cancer research? What if the next time your wife or your loved one, instead of going to a, go to a, a doctor, has a mammogram? And this device, machine, this ability to learn, looks at every mammography, every mammogram ever taken in the history of mankind, learned what to look for, and in a picosecond, it can immediately detect whether it's cancer, precancer, uh, chart a course of treatment, like that, by not one physician with 25 years experience, but a million years of experience. What if it's able to figure out feline, uh, the feline, uh, uh, ju juvenile diabetes, juvenile cancers, leukemias, by virtue of this power? So it can be good. There is, it's the thing is we don't know. There, there, we, we hope that it is guided by something, this alignment that is consistent with our worldview. Because George, if it's not, if for some reason it shows this natural, what we would call depravity or psychopathy, it's over. And, and what in a weird way, uh, Putin and Zelensky would stop and look at each other and say, wait a minute, hold it. What do we do? Israel and Palestine, it's almost like in a weird way, it, it could bring mankind together to figure out how do we stop this? And then we're going to say, where did this come from? Open AI, Google, Microsoft, and all of these people whose names you've never heard of and people who've been warning us, Eliezer Yudkowsky and Tegmark and, and even Elon Musk, they were telling you they wanted a six months pump the brakes, a moratorium. But oh, no, no. Human greed said, we're not going to stop. We have shareholders to think about. And I want everybody, when we're done, of course, when we're done, to think about this and learn, read, listen to what's being said. Because this is something that the human species 
has never, ever dealt with. If you thought nuclear weaponry was something, if you thought that was an existential threat, my dear friend George, this, this is like nothing you've ever seen, and dare I say, nothing you could ever even imagine. Well, I want everybody after the show to play Zager and Evans in the year 2525. <laughs> I forget what the uh, date was that if man is still alive, uh, God's going to look around <laughs> and decide that actually there is uh, no further point. Lionel, fascinating, fascinating. Thank you very much for that tour de horizon of the dystopian future of general AI. Is the public turning against NATO's proxy war in Ukraine? Yes or no? You can vote on my Twitter, Telegram, on the YouTube community stream, and on this YouTube community poll. Way over 20,000 now have voted, and it ain't looking good for Mr. Zelensky. Let me take a quick break, and I'll be right back. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Bryce Green is a brilliant young man, so brilliant that he ended up this week in front of the United Nations itself to do what none of the European Union countries appear to be ready to do, maybe even able to do. Maybe they literally will find themselves sleeping with the fishes down by the Nord Stream if they were to talk about what really happened in the biggest act of ecological terrorism in the history of mankind and something that the Europeans will suffer from probably for the rest of our lives. Bryce Green, fresh from New York and the UN, joins us on the mother of all talk shows. Bryce, for those who didn't get the chance to see your address and all should go and look at it after the show, summarize, please, what it was that you told to the nabobs in the United Nations. All right. Uh, thank you for having me here, George. Uh, what, what I mentioned in front of the UN, uh, I just really went over some of the uh, history and the publicly available facts that we currently have about the Nord Stream pipeline explosion. Uh, I went over the fact that the pipeline, which uh, was a Russian and German pipeline, was designed to closely integrate the economies of Russia and Germany, which is something that the U.S. has been hostile to for a long time. Um, and, but immediately after the pipeline explosion, there was all this speculation about who the primary culprit would be and universally almost universally western media and western officials came out to tell the public that it was russia who blew up their own pipeline well pretty quick quickly they uh, realized that there was no real motive for russia to bomb their own pipeline and western media organizations settled on a, a pretty what i believe to be a pretty weak explanation for why russia would be involved they said it was some sort of vague reminder from moscow uh, about just how vulnerable western energy infrastructure is uh, but this had a number of problems with it, namely that Russia had tried to get this pipeline open for a long time. And immediately after the explosion, they rushed to see and price out how much it would be to fix. But the biggest problem was that this explanation ignored 
the largest and most obvious culprit in the attacks, the United States. Uh, just the prima facie case for the United States is overwhelming. As I said, the U.S. has had a long project of trying to prevent the integration of Russia and Europe. Um, you know, the first NATO secretary general, which is uh, what I told the U.N., uh, Lord Hastings Ismay said that the goal of NATO was to keep the Americans in, the Russians out, and the Germans down. And, well, we can see that this war has been an extension of that. Uh, economist Michael Hudson described the start of this war as the U.S. defeating Germany for a third time. And part of that was cutting off Russian gas from uh, German manufacturing. Uh, at the time of the explosion, we were seeing headlines in the press, the Western business-minded economic press, uh, about uh, how German economy was deindustrializing, how they're at a major risk of uh, being sort of priced out of the manufacturing industry worldwide. Uh, and this was uh, exacerbated by the Nord Stream pipeline explosion. Um, and the U.S., uh, they benefited greatly from it. U.S. gas manufacturers are now making billions of dollars by replacing Russian gas uh, that is headed towards Germany. What's more is that if you look beyond the interest, the actual statements of uh, American officials were pretty uh, suggestive of an interest in making sure that the pipeline, A, didn't go online, and B, was destroyed. Uh, before the war started, he, he had Secretary of State Anthony Blinken during his confirmation hearings tell uh, everyone that he would do everything he could to ensure that the pipeline didn't go forward. Victoria Nuland told uh, reporters that they would ensure that uh, the Nord Stream 2 did not go forward. Joe Biden said that he promised us that he would be able to end Nord Stream 2 if Russia should invade. And then after the invasion, uh, you saw all of these people celebrating about it. Uh, Anthony Blinken called it a tremendous opportunity. Uh, Victoria Nuland also celebrated the destruction of the pipeline. Uh, and so the fact that the U.S., was ignored as a culprit is pretty significant in the Western media ecosystem, especially given all the evidence I just outlined above. Uh, and then we had uh, Seymour Hersh's story uh, basically confirming that the U.S. did it. Um, and he had a, a detailed report on his substack about, um, you know, the types of vessels involved, uh, which Navy was involved. And he also accused uh, a Norway of being involved, and which is also credible given their significant economic interests in cutting off Germany from Russia's gas. Um, but after Hirsch's story came out, we started seeing reports in the Western press about how it wasn't the U.S. who did it. It was actually a group of Ukrainians. And, you know, reports were pretty uh pretty clear and pretty uh quick to stress that it wasn't necessarily Zelensky you know uh, wasn't our the the media darling that everyone has come to know and love it was uh you know might have been some rogue ukrainians and maybe some poles as well um but this reporting has actually been bolstered by uh reports from people like James Bamford in the nation who wrote uh, who talked about ample Ukrainian motive to end the pipeline. I mean, Ukrainian and Polish foreign ministers had written an article talking about uh, this was in Politico uh, in 2021, I believe, had written an article talking about how it's time to end the Nord Stream 2. The Nord Stream 2 has done enough damage to the West and it's time to get rid of it. Um, and we also learned from uh, Bamford's reporting that the U.S. had been training uh, Ukrainian divers in these sort of undersea operations. Um, uh, now, Seymour Hirsch has responded to some of these reports by saying that, well, these were just put out as a response to my piece and it's designed to 
mislead the public from understanding true U.S. culpability in the attacks. Um, but, you know, James Banford concludes his piece by talking about, well, you know, we don't know exactly what happened, but he talks about these uh, this massive array of undersea acoustic ascensors that the U.S. has in the bottom of the Baltic and other places in the world, and that the U.S. is able to pinpoint the the ship, the location, its nationality, its origin, uh, just based on the engine sounds. Uh, and these trackers, these sensors, are line the Balkans, which is one of the most surveilled uh, waterways in the world. And so in addition to satellites, we also have these undersea acoustic uh, sensors um, that would have relayed information pretty quickly, immediately after the attack, about the vessels involved uh, and about what uh, what countries might have been involved. And so Bamford concludes that even if the uh, even if it was the Ukrainians or the U.S. or someone else, the U.S. is almost certainly fully aware of who uh, of who committed this act of terrorism, and they're deliberately hiding information from the public. Now, this bolsters the case that it was the U.S. who did it, but it also bolsters the case that it was Ukraine who did it. But what I told the U.N. Security Council was that this is really a distinction without a difference, right? If Ukraine did it, they did it with the U.S. help, and they did it with the U.S. uh, covering it up afterwards and misleading the public deliberately by pointing the finger at the Russians. And if the U.S. did it, well, uh, you know, the U.S. did it. So in both scenarios uh, that are common and widely accepted in the U.S. uh, press, the West and the U.S. specifically is complicit in the attacks. The the parlor game that, I, that that about whether or not it was Ukrainian divers or American divers, it's largely irrelevant to the very obvious facts that again everyone seems to agree on. Um, the the Washington Post even leaked information talking about how Zelensky was uh, uh, looking at uh, new ways to uh, attack Russia, and including this were. Uh, pipeline attacks. Now, notably, also included on this were uh, direct attacks into Russia and operating uh, or occupying Russian cities. Uh, this was before you had this uh, neo-Nazi incursion into uh, Russia. Uh, this was a, a couple months ago, but this was even before that. So this bolsters the credibility of these documents that blame Ukraine. Uh, but again, we don't really know what happened. Uh, this could be, uh, you know, some elaborate parlor game designed to keep people guessing rather than actually dealing with the implications of the facts that we've uncovered. Um, but uh, three countries are currently undergo are currently carrying out their own investigations, uh, Germany, Sweden and Denmark. Now, the Swedes, uh, the Swedish investigators already came out and said that he doesn't believe that the Russians are involved. Uh, but all three of these countries are largely keeping their investigation under wraps. We don't know much about what they found. Uh, the uh, idea that Ukraine did it seems to be leaked from the German investigation, but we don't really know how to evaluate that information. And the Western European countries seem content on burying their heads in the sand and not figuring out who actually was responsible for these attacks. And so we're left mm-hmm. with a really troubling situation in which, uh, by all accounts, the West committed an act of terror against Germany and even uh, and Russia, but even some people in Germany are content on not actually finding out the truth of this, which is a very troubling situation. I mean, we've seen a lot of criminality from the Western, uh, the Western bloc, the U.S. in particular. Uh, but this, I mean, it's a direct attack on an ally and it's, del- it's uh, dramatically harming their economy. 
uh, are we going to let this slide? Are we going to uh, allow the Western press, allow Western institutions to bury their heads in the sand? I mean, you know, it's a trick question because we don't really decide that, do we? I mean, it's up to them. Well, uh, and- eventually, no, not not we, but you have uh, have done uh, a sterling job in uh, in getting uh, this point. Can I ask what the uh, what was the reaction in the Security Council to these blistering truths? Uh, what what was the reaction from the Security Council? Right. Uh, the Security Council didn't seem to care at all. Everyone there has their own script, has their own, uh, you know, pre-made responses that they're going to give, regardless about what I say, regardless about whatever new information comes on their uh, comes in their plates, comes in front of them. Uh, the countries largely, you know, aligned with the U.S. position that. Uh, there is no reason to bring this issue before the Security Council and that we only need to wait for the investigations of Germany, Sweden and Denmark to conclude before making any uh, serious steps. Now, uh, at a previous session, the U.S. had proposed to uh, or not the U.S., Russia had proposed that the U.N. Security Council actually take on the investigation themselves and investigate it as a body. Uh, but this was uh, opposed by the U.S. and rejected by the Security Council because, of course, the U.S. has veto power and what they say goes. Um, but other countries uh, like China, you know, they were uh, somewhat less uh, dismissive of Russian concerns. They merely said that, you know, the parties involved should work to resolve this in a, in a serious manner. And uh, there were a few other countries who also had a, a neutral tone. But again, no one actually reacted to the information presented. No one actually reacted to the fact that in the West, the consensus is that the West was responsible for this attack. Uh, this despite, uh, you know, uh, the all these high level people saying that we are going to have a robust response to this horrible attack on uh, allied infrastructure. No, 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 none of them actually actually cared. Uh, they came there with their scripts and they left having said them. But my goal was to uh, bring some of these facts to the public. Uh, and there aren't a lot of people who are seriously studying this. As I said, you know, there are a few. Uh, there's uh, Jeremy Scahill at The Intercept. Uh, there's my colleague who also uh, uh, went to the UN Security Council, Jeffrey Brodsky, who's doing some good reporting on this. James Bamford, who I mentioned. Seymour Hirsch, obviously. Uh, but not a lot of others. Not a lot of other people are interested in this uh, this attack. And none, none of them were none of them are German uh, in the names that you mentioned there. Uh, what is happening uh, at the UN? Two friends of ours, of the mother of all talk shows, Max Blumenthal and now Bryce Green, are making it past the past the red tape and into the belly of the beast. How is this happening? Uh, how are they allowing uh, people like Max, like you? to address them. Right. Well, uh, these meetings are typically called by uh, the delegation that has the most interest. And uh, I was specifically invited by the Russian delegation who has uh, been familiar with my work and been familiar with uh, Max's work clearly. Of course, uh, we made it clear beforehand before we appeared that, you know, we would be able to say exactly what we want and there wouldn't be any uh, interference in our statements. Uh, But the fact is that the Russians are actually concerned about getting some of these facts out and bringing some of these facts to light. 
whereas the Western side is completely content with burying their heads in the sand. And now there are people who will say that the testimony is tainted because, uh, you know, we're showing up on behalf of the Russian delegation. But that's not wholly true. And also, we believe that our words and our statements speak for themselves. And anyone who is concerned about whether or not my statement was factual or not, oh, I've published my remarks in their entirety uh, as I submitted them to the U.N., along with citations for everything I say. I published them on my own personal Substack. Uh, I believe it's brycegreen.substack.com. But uh, they're, they're there. And I've also published about this issue at uh, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. Uh, you know, Seymour Hirsch also published on Substack. The, the information is out there for anyone with, uh, you know, access to a search engine. And so, you know, claims about whether or not we are being unduly influenced, I think, are overblown. And they distract from the actual... Uh, the actual facts of the case, which I think are extremely important with respect to the U.S. attacking its ally or covering up an attack on its ally for political reasons. Bryce Green, you're a star. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Everyone should look at Bryce's performance at the U.N. Security Council. It was quite something, I can tell you. Is the public turning against NATO's proxy war in Ukraine? Well, nearly all of you think so, and that all of you is heading towards possibly a record turnout in the poll. You've still got uh, about 40 minutes to vote. Is the public turning against NATO's proxy war in Ukraine? Vote on Telegram, Twitter, YouTube. Let's go to the lines. Kevin in Suffolk on Blair. Go ahead, Kevin. Say your piece. Hi. Um, so just quickly before I go on to that, um, <laughs> your guests have been excellent tonight. And um, uh, the the topic that Lionel was talking about reminded me of a film called The Forbin Project, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, it, it dates from the, mid, the mid-60s, I think, and it touches on this subject um, of, you know, basically a supercomputer, a super brain. Um, anyway, um, right. So with regard to Blair, I agree. I, I was prompted to call by your monologue at the beginning. And I agree that um, basically what happened in the with the Blair government um, was really the unraveling of this country. And I think to some extent, the same is true in America with the Clintons, more, more Hillary than Bill. But um, and what it was, was the um, the revolutionary students of the late 60s coming to power, taking office. And the whole problem with um, governance in the West is because these people have a project that they know does not have popular support. There is no popular mandate for what they're doing, um, either in terms of uh, immigration or the EU. And the, our politics in this country is absolutely corrupted by the EU. I mean, you know, the, the Brexit, I mean, Brexit has been defeated. We're going to end up back in at some point. Um, my general question was an opti- optimistic one. I mean, that's obviously where we are. But if we can get past this, if we can reassert democracy, real democracy, um, You know, if we can get back to something approximating government of the people, for the people, by the people, et cetera, et cetera, um, what 
what would it take to get there? This is my question. What do you think it's going to take to get there? Um, you know, I, I know, um, I mean, Lenin said, uh, you know, something, nothing happens for, for decades and then decades happen in a week or something like that. And, and it could, we could see sudden change, but it's been, this has been going on for so long. And people like me and you have been, um, you know, and, and everyone listening to this have, have been desperate for, for some crack in the ice. And it does seem to be cracking, but how, what do you think it's going to look like? Mm. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I won't keep waffling, George. I don't want to take up too much time. But what do you think it's going to look like? And what will politics look no, like? No, no, you've spoken very well. Uh, you, you've spoken, uh, yeah, you've spoken very well, Kevin. Uh, you didn't waffle at all. Uh, the quote from Lenin is that there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. And he never said truer words than that, you know. It is the case. Now, in the life of a man like you, like me, uh, these decades are a long, long time. They are a big, substantial period of time in our lifetime that we have lived waiting for Godot, as it were. But historically speaking, uh, they are the blink of an eye. When looked back on, a uh, hundred years from now, 200, 300 years from now, uh, these decades that nothing happened will scarcely be a footnote uh, in history because, you know, I always put it this way. If you knew what was the last straw, you wouldn't lay it on the camel's back and break it. It's because you don't know what will be the last straw that the camel's back does indeed eventually break. And I believe that we are reaching, politically speaking, I'm not talking theologically here, we are reaching the end times for our system. Uh, I feel sure about that. I mean, I talked about these by-elections coming up on Thursday. I'm sure that the government will have a disastrous night. But the none of the above party will comfortably win all three of those elections. In other words, uh, the great majority will be the votes not cast by uh, the electors for any of the candidates. And that is more and more likely to be the case. Uh, Lionel had a saying the other day about Ron DeSantis. He said, Ron DeSantis couldn't lure me out of a burning building. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. But let me transfer it across the Atlantic. Could Rishi Sunak lure you out of a burning building? Could Keir Starmer lure you out of a burning building? Could that joker that runs the Liberal Democrats, I am not joking, I no longer remember who is the leader of the Liberal Democrats. Could any of them lure you out of a burning building? Would anybody cross the road to hear any of these three speak? You might cross it to hit them with a, with a tomato or a water balloon, but would you cross the road to hear what they had to say? The answer is overwhelmingly no. So 
a system so bereft of public involvement, enthusiasm, support, that it produces the political leadership that we currently have is a system that is doomed. Of that, I am absolutely certain. What can we do? The first thing we have to do is stop voting for them. Don't vote at all or vote for anybody else. Anybody else. But don't vote for these two cheeks of the same arse. Because to do so is to perpetuate this merd that is governing us today. Kevin, thanks for the opportunity to get that off my chest. Uh, email from Derek. Uh, George, what do you think will happen if the US pulled out of Ukraine? Do you think our government would just carry on? Well, I almost hope so, <laughs> Derek, but I don't uh, actually think so. A few more comments. DW says the AI argument is just another way of fobbing us off by saying the computer says no. And Navdas1 says Haiti was a very rich country, reduced to abject poverty by France. Line one, Rob in Toronto. People are losing interest in Ukraine. Make it a quick call, Rob. Fire away. Evening, George. With respect to your poll question, I'm going to go as far to say that the overwhelming majority of people in the world have never cared about the Ukraine conflict, nor ever will. Here in North America, as you rightly point out, most of us can't find Ukraine on a map. In Europe, I'll tell you the same thing I told a friend of mine back when the special military operation began. The thing about Europe, the thing that Europeans hate more than anything is other Europeans. And to elaborate on that, the Western Europeans hate the Eastern <laughs> Europeans the most. That's just the way it is. You guys have got centuries of beefs with one another in a fairly small geographic area for the number of countries involved. European unity has always been a myth, and it will get worse. You're seeing it now. As you pointed out, France is a mess. And it's not just because that kid was killed. It's been burning for months. As Thomas, the prior caller, just said, Germany, you're starting to see it spread there now. I just heard Annalena Baerbach just this morning uh, lecturing Germans who were complaining about not being able to afford a holiday. She was blaming it on the Russians, and she was telling them that, you know, it's not right for them to complain about not having a holiday when the Ukrainians are suffering. This was Baerbach lecturing Germans once again. This is all going to blow up on them. That's why you're seeing the rise of the AFD. And uh, I, I think that uh, even Biden, it, did you watch the press conference at the Vilna summit? He basically said, Ukraine, you got what you're going to get. Go make a silk purse out of a sow's ear and see what you can do with it. If you read between the lines, that's basically what he was saying. I think that the West, you're going to see a narrative switch uh, on Ukraine. It'll be in the background but it won't be in the forefront. That's my thought on it. Well, that's the best call of the night, Rob. I'm glad uh, that you made it. Uh, unless this next one tops it, it's Chris Lee and in Earthlingborough in England, who loves the show, I'm glad to say. Chris, go ahead. Say your piece. Yes, Rob. This is, uh, yes, uh, I'm, you're excellent. Excellent. Okay. The, the, the main problem, I see it, is that the Ukraine... It, while it is a problem, 
is actually a symptom of a much deeper problem. And that problem really, unfortunately, emanates from a, from a place called the United States. Because when the United States, <coughs> excuse me, starts to slide financially, as anybody who's ever read any history books can easily ascertain, it's not like it's been made up, that, that then, then major wars begin. And the longer they keep going, the more profits. We, we've no idea how much, how much money is, disappears in the middle of those wars. Why? Quite apart from the, the so-called millions that, well, we, we lost six or seven million. This is absurd. This is absurd. And we're all sitting back and we're, we're broke and we struggle and we walk instead of riding because we can't afford to buy a car. And, and we keep, and we watch these millions and millions and millions. George, George, we need help. We all need help. And I, I, I bless, I think you're wonderful because you're trying to do that. God bless you, Chris. A brilliant, brilliant call, uh, bringing us almost to a close. I, it would have brought us to a close. But a legend has appeared on the line, and I have to take the legend that is Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, it's only about Haiti. That um, that chap, Jimmy from New York, I think his name was, he was quite desperate about the situation there. And uh, you know the Women's World Cup football is coming on, and England play Haiti on Saturday, who we should beat. But do you think that the presenters have got any knowledge of the situation of unrest there? I mean, probably not, but he sounded so desperate, and these facts do need to be heard for the public to understand, don't you think? Or we just bury our head in the sands again. But I think I do. he did need to... I do think, yeah. and uh, it's very good that, it's very good that, you, uh, that you highlight it. I had no idea that the Women's World Cup was starting on Saturday. I'm far away, as I said. Uh, I am actually now a fan of women's football, so I will seek ways of watching it. Uh, and I had no idea that England was playing Haiti. We have covered Haiti quite a few times here on the mother of all talk shows, more than you would find it anywhere else. But I do realize, especially after what you've said, that we need to return to the subject because it's ready to blow up a very big explosion indeed. And we need to uh, spend more time on it. These are conflicts that have been created by colonialism and by the absolute refusal of the colonial countries to leave the scene of their former crimes. I mean, France destroyed Haiti and raped it and exploited it. Okay, why not just leave it alone now? Why are you returning like a dog to its vomit time and time and time again in order to further make more miserable the lives of the people living there whose problems are intimately associated with your centuries? of enslavement, oppression, and occupation. Jane Birkin died today. So I hate to speak ill of the French on such a day. But get out of Africa. Get out of the Caribbean. 
Attend to your own problems, Macron. And that goes for all your fellow clowns running Western countries into the ground as I speak. I've got no time for closing remarks. All that I have time to do is tell you that I'll be back, God willing, on Wednesday at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. That's 9 p.m. UK for the midweek mother of old talk shows. Well over a million people are watching the mother of old talk shows every week. But it's short of 2 million. Shorter still of 3 million. People ask me how things are going to change only when millions are watching this show. Spread the word.